All right, Ephesians chapter number 4, and look at verse 32. Actually, let's back it up to verse 31. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Ephesians 5 verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God, as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our gracious God, we do come before you once again this morning, and we do thank you and praise you for the God that you are and the God that you will always be. Gracious, loving, kind and good. Father, we know that you have expressed your love toward us very clearly. First of all, by giving us life. Not only this, but eternal life through your Son. And I pray this morning that your people and also others that perhaps don't know you as their Saviour would come to continue to grow in this love that has visited man, that has appeared unto all men, that they may in turn or return love you back. And so, Father, I pray that you'd get a hold of our hearts this morning through your word. Help me convey it simply, plainly, in love and conviction. Uh, be with my heart and mouth, dear God, I pray this morning. Help us to be attentive, not to be distracted, dear God. Uh, help us not to be uh, taken by the cares of the world, things that burden our hearts and minds, especially for this moment. I pray that the word of God may have full course and liberty in our hearts. It would convict us and yet comfort us at the same time. And I pray that we will respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll continue in the series of Renewed Walk. Last week we looked at part one, walking in love. We focused more on the source of love, who is God, and how we must follow after God or imitate God in this area. And no doubt the Christian life is built on the love of God. That's uh, what love is all about. It's God, who is the pure definition of love. Uh, you know, John puts it like this. Uh, God is love. And Paul puts it, the God of love. And so the Christian faith is built on the foundation of God's love. It was the very thing that brought us to God. It was the goodness of God that brought us to him. In verse 1 of Ephesians 5, the Bible says to uh, be ye therefore followers of God. In other words, imitators. Uh, God wants us to follow and imitate him in this area of love. As he has loved us, he wants us to love one another. And so Paul begins chapter 5 by encouraging us to do exactly what I've just said, is to follow after God and to be imitators in this area. We also notice the word be therefore. This takes us back to chapter number 4 and gives us examples in which God wants us to love others in. Verse 32, it says, be kind one to another. And then he says, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Notice the phrase, he, even as God, even as God, for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so he begins by saying that you and I ought to be kind like God is kind. To be kind is to be, to be good and gracious to uh, simply be concerned with the affairs of others. The opposite of kindness is to be selfish, lack of compassion, empathy toward others, merciless, heartless, and ruthless. It's everything that God is not. And kindness, no doubt, is an expression of God's love and mercy that he demonstrated to every single believer. And, uh, of course, those that are non-believers, because it's the very thing that calls him or calls them to come to God. You know, God is tender-hearted. He's forgiving. And so in this area also, to be tender-hearted is to have a heart that fills for others. A heart that is willing to open the door of forgiveness when people hurt us. And so uh, I said it last week and I'll say it again. Forgiven people forgive people. And the opposite of being kind and tender-hearted is to be, verse 31, all bitterness, wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking and malice. That's the opposite of verse 32. That's the opposite of what, who God is. Is the aircon on? Maybe it switched off over a certain time. <clears throat> and so this morning we're going to look at verse... Was it on or off? It was off. Feel it already. And this morning we're going to look at uh, the next two points. And uh, that is the supremacy of love 
and also the subjects of love. And so last week we looked at the source of love who is God. We're going to look at the supremacy of love, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. And then the subjects of love as dear children. All right, we'll look at the first or the second point. After the source of love comes the supremacy of love in verse 32. It says, And be ye kind one another to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, with this, for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. The reason why God extended his love toward us and opened the door to forgiveness was because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, for Christ's sake will indicate the fact that it is only through Christ and only through him that you and I could be forgiven by God. You know, Christ uh, was the very one that laid down his life for us and uh, simply satisfied, uh, if you will, the heart of God in paying for the price of sin that you and I in Christ or for Christ's sake can be forgiven. In other words, it, 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 this is the thing. Jesus made it possible by laying down his life and dying on the cross that God will forgive us because of him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's wonderful. And that brings our attention to the supremacy of love who is Christ. The supreme essence of love is Christ. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 5.1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the supremacy of all love. He's the one that bridges the gap between God and man. Without Christ, there would be no love. And that God is the source of love by sending his son. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. And so notice what Paul preached in Acts chapter 13, verse 38. He says it, being, he says it this, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man who, Jesus, is preached unto you what? The forgiveness of sins. And so if Jesus didn't die on the cross and shed his blood to pay the price for our sin, then sinners would have no hope in being forgiven. Christ made it possible for us to be forgiven when he willingly laid down his life on the cross. He suffered and he died and he bled and that blood, that atonement, he made it possible for you and I to be forgiven. That precious blood of God, that, that precious, precious blood of Christ, the, the God who came down in human form, lived a perfect and sinless life, suffered and died by the hand of sinners to die for sinners. That's tremendous. It's the supremacy of love. And we're going to see it later on. It's the no greater love found in the Bible than one to one to lay down their life for us. God is able, no doubt, at the expense of Christ to forgive us because, listen, Jesus paid it all. No blood, no forgiveness, no sacrifice, no pardon. This is how God demonstrated his love toward us. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us and while we're yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. And uh, Colossians 1 verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father which have made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who have delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom in whom, in who, in his dear son, in whom, what do we have? Redemption. Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. There it is there. In Christ, that is, in his person, his passion, his work on the cross, uh, him laying down his life for us. Uh, simply, the ultimate work was the, was the supreme basis on which God can forgive us. Thank God for that. And thank God for his son. Why is that the supreme basis? Because Christ, through his blood, paid the price for our redemption and pardon. What appeased the justice of God and the wrath of God was the blood of Christ, the atonement of Christ. And so the atonement made it possible for us to be forgiven because of the righteousness of God or the righteousness of God found in Christ by him paying the penalty of sin. Romans 5 verse 9, much more then. Being justified by his blood... We shall be saved from the wrath through him. We've been forgiven for Christ's sake, and those who reject Christ will not be forgiven. 
You know, those who reject Jesus Christ, God will show no mercy to them when it comes to judgment day. It's very clear. You accept his son as your saviour, God will forgive you. He'll have mercy upon you. You don't, you reject Jesus Christ as your saviour, you'll be judged in that day for all your sin because there is no covering and there's no, no atonement. God's justice in judging sinners will be ultimately based on the fact for their rejection of God's love expressed through his son. If you don't receive Christ, there'll be no forgiveness for your sin. If you don't receive Christ, then you, you, you're not accepting the love of God. You're rejecting it. Notice again, we looked at this uh, in, uh, last week, Titus 3 verse 5 and, and, and uh, verse 4 and 5. But we didn't, look for, we didn't look at verse 6 and I left it out on purpose for this point. But notice what it says, but after that the kindness and the love of God have appeared, our Saviour toward men appeared, how? Not by works of righteousness which we, which we have done, but how? But by his mercy he what? Saved us, notice verse 6, which he shed on us abundantly through who? Through Jesus Christ our Saviour. You see that? God who is kind, God who is loving, God who uh, is our saviour, appeared unto all men by his, by his mercy, not by our self-righteousness or goodness, but by his mercy, sent his son into the world to save us and open the door of forgiveness that we can come to God and ask for mercy. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a gracious God and a loving God? Isn't that a God that has really showed and demonstrated the supremacy of love? He's not all talk, but he's all action. He's all action. Gave his only begotten. And we see in Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy, here's that, here's that verse again, for his great love, not just ordinary love, his great love, why? Because he gave his son for us, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us, raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places, in who? In Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, through who? There it is again. Through Christ Jesus. This is the supremacy of love. And so it is with us. If God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us, how much more we, because of Christ, forgive others? How much more? This is what God, or Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, really the admonition has come from God, penned down by Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, is telling us, God has forgiven you because of Christ. Therefore, you need to forgive others because of Christ. He's made it possible. How? By the Spirit of God that lives in us, that is sure to brought in our hearts, Christ in you, the hope and glory that controls uh, you know, our life if we walk in the Spirit of God and gives us the power and the strength to say to someone, I forgive you when they've hurt us. It's very hard to really forgive others if you haven't been forgiven by, the, by God through Jesus. It's very difficult because it is God in you that will help you and give you the ability to forgive while you're hurting. How many people do not forgive others because they don't know Christ and they don't understand his love and how much they've been forgiven? When you understand the love of God expressed through his son and what he did on the cross and you have tasted that the Lord is gracious you yourself because of Christ will be gracious to others when you understand how much he has lavished his love on you forgiven you loved you showed kindness to you cared for you showed mercy when you didn't deserve it that's what mercy is Giving you grace upon grace. Chance after chance. Oh, if God were to deal with us according to our sins, we'd be finished. Every one of us would not be sitting here. We are, many of us here today are byproducts of God's love. We know how to love because of Him. Many of us, perhaps in this room, or maybe some of us, 
don't know how to love because they haven't tasted the love of God in their life through Jesus Christ. We're not talking about a cliche kind of love. I mean, we're talking about out of the world kind of love. It's not put on by human flesh. It's, it's put on with the help of Christ. That's, that's who the new man is. The new man is Christ. And you cannot put on Christ if you don't have Christ. And so to mimic these uh, expressions of love, kindness and tender-hearted and, and forgiveness without Christ is going to be short-lived. will be very short-lived. But to have the love of Christ uh, shed abroad in your heart and forgiving others for his sake, I tell you, will be long-lasting. You know, sometimes people will perhaps come to you and they haven't gotten over it. And they'll probably say to you, remember I did this to you and, and, uh, and I can't still get over it. I know you've forgiven me. And you're like, I don't remember that. When did that happen? Why? Because it's finished. It's gone. You know, and, 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 and this is the thing. Many a times the devil tries to remind you of your offences of others. Uh, that, you, uh, that you've done to others and that it's under the blood and it's, uh, but you know what, if that person truly knows Christ and it's been forgiven, then mark it down you've been forgiven you know one of the things when I knew when I've come to know my wife and uh, you know I, I lived a very sinful life before I knew her and it troubled me before I was going to marry her I told her everything almost everything that I've committed and I said look doesn't that bother you doesn't my sinful life in comparison? I was intimidated by her. She was brought up in a Christian home. She didn't do the very things that I was caught up to. I mean, she was still a sinner, but not as much as me. I've, ta- I've gone to the to bottom of the barrel. And I can say like Paul was a chief of sinners. and It was very hard for me to get over it. And I was just broken. And I, I would say, doesn't my reputation bother you? I mean, I know I'm saved by grace, but you're marrying a man. But doesn't, still, doesn't that still bother you? She said, well, if Christ has forgiven you, who am I to hold it against you? And I was finished. Man, I was just broken before God, before this woman that God was going, was in, was, was going to give me. And so, we see that in Christ we are able to forgive others. Very clearly, for God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. And so in Christ, and for Christ's sake, we can forgive others. And it will be long-lasting, of course. And it's not only the love of God, but also the love of Christ that we should follow after. Look at verse 2 of Ephesians 5. And we'll look at this later in uh, other messages, perhaps next uh, few weeks. But this is an admonition Paul gives in Ephesians 2, uh, 5 verse 2. He says, walk in love as Christ also hath what? Loved us. Not only God, but now Christ, the Godhead. I mean, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is the very essence and source of love. You can't separate them. And so let's look at the subjects of love. And let me labor here for uh, quite some time as we uh, go to, uh, toward the end of the message. Look, look at verse 1 again. He says, Be ye therefore followers of God as what? As Dear children. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's not talking to non-believers here or heathens that don't know God. He's talking about born-again, blood-bought, born-again believers. What does that term born-again mean? It means when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are born by the Spirit of God into God's family. You're adopted in Christ by the Spirit of God, and now you are God's child. It's tremendous. John says, what manner of love has God bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? It is amazing that we are now called the children of God. You can't get any better heritage than that. <laughs> Amen. I mean, to be a child of God is, is, is more uh, val- uh, valuable than anything in this world. Your royalty in Christ. Read Romans 8. Royalty in Christ. And so if you're a child of God and you're going to imitate your father, then he, very specifically, the subjects of God's love, we as people need to act as children of God. See, God's children who are born again, trust that Jesus Christ is their saviour, should be characterised by 
the love of God and the love of Christ. We love God, we love others. Every child has some sort of desire to imitate their father. It should be the characteristic of a child of God to have the heart of God that is to love others. 1 John 4, turn your Bibles there. We're going to labor in the book of John here, or at least the epistle of John, and we're going to see some profound truths to support this claim, even as children. Okay? We're not talking about unbelievers. We don't expect unbelievers to love like God. They don't understand what the love of God is until they get saved. Amen? Until they have the Spirit of God in them. Until they know and walk with God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we as children of God should know better. Alright? And by the, way, by the way, it is a mark of our Christian life. Having the love of God in our hearts. Walking in love should be a mark that we are saved. They say, what do you mean? I'm supposed to walk in love perfectly every day, all day. Well, we aim to be perfected in that area. That's why prior to the verses in chapter 5 and chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, it talks about not grieving the Spirit of God. So as Christians, we can grieve or sadden God's heart. But we should aim to always imitate God as children. This is the characteristics that we should have always. You know, again... The foundation that we were built upon is God's love. And so we as the children of God should always be loving, always be kind, always be tender-hearted, forgiving other people. If you don't have love and forgiveness for others, then I'm going to put a big question mark on your salvation. I'm not saying that you struggle with it. Many people perhaps will struggle with it, but that's why we have the help of God and the Holy Spirit to cultivate that love and walk in love. That's why we've been given the admonition. Okay, now let's have a look at verse 7 of 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is what? There it is, is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is what? Very clear. Don't you see that very clear? And when we're not, again, we're not talking about this put on. Uh, facade, love that's covered with or laced with hypocrisy. We're talking about the pure, authentic, holy spirit, Christ-like spirit love, unconditional. I mean, love for others is one of the greatest marks. The love of God in a person's life is one of the greatest marks of a true child of God. We just read it. First uh, John 4, look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, what, what, what happens? God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his wife. Mate, this is the greatest evidence of a, of a true child, blood-bought Christian with the overflowing love of God in their heart, ready to love others, ready to forgive others. It is by the Spirit of God that dwells in our hearts that gives us that love for others. Romans 5 verse 5, And the hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now notice verse 19 in 1 John 4. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, look at this now. If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, what does God call him? You see that? I know God. I'm a Christian. I follow God. I imitate God, but you're not forgiving your brother. You're not loving your brother. You're not showing kindness to your brother. You're not being tender-hearted to your brother. You don't know God. You're a liar. You know why? Because God is love. If you really followed God and you say you love God, you what? Imitate him. You'll have a tender heart. You'll forgive. You'll be kind. That's very clear from the scripture. Uh, the Bible says, For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God in whom he hath not seen? That's a true statement. I mean, you've never seen God. And you say you love God. 
And you want to say you love your brother whom you've seen, but you don't because you don't forgive. You don't have a heart uh, to uh, love them and be kind and have an open door of forgiveness. And you've got bitterness and animosity in your heart for them. How can you say that you love God? I met a man yesterday that says that he knew God. And then when things didn't go his way, he began to be bitter with God for about 10 years. He doesn't believe it's bitterness. He believes I'm just sad with God, like he's disappointed. I said, you're disappointed because God didn't obey you? You're disappointed because God didn't listen to you? And if someone is so bitter to God, who is all loving, kind, has given them everything, how do you think they're going to react to someone else that hasn't given them zero? How, how do you, you know, if your love was conditional based upon what you're given, then it's temporary. And it's not pure love. Because God gave us his son while we were yet what? Sinners. Undeserving. Not good people. Someone will probably, you know, give their life for a good person. Or maybe someone they knew, family member. You know, but for, it, for their enemy, someone sinful, someone that's hurt them. Man, that's the true test of love. That is. Because that's God's love. And it says very clearly here, and this is the commandment, have we, verse 21, have we from him that he who loveth God, love his brother also. There's no way in the world, there's no way in the world, if you don't love your brother, you don't love God. Don't be deceived. I love God. I mean, there are a lot of people who say they love God, but they don't love their brother. They don't want to be part of a church. And by the way, church is not a building, it's a people. You know, they don't want to go. They want to have a little church in their closet. You know, doesn't the Bible say pray in your closet? It's out of context. Uh, that context is simply saying don't pray to show off. Amen. It's not saying don't gather together with other believers who are like-minded. Now, I can't wait after living the whole week and not seeing a lot of the brethren to come together and see my brethren in the Lord who love God. Because a lot of people out there, they don't love God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to a church that there's some people who are bullies in the church, don't love the brethren, they've always got a nose out of joints, there's always got problems and there's never a door of, and there's always hidden agendas and all. I don't want to be a part of that church. Sometimes, praise God, he protects us from different things of that nature. But you know, if every single person loved God, they're going to love their brother, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have a happy, loving, blessed church. And you want to come there, you want to go there, you're excited. I mean, what child wants to go to a school knowing there's a bully there? I don't know about you, but children want to sidestep bullies. But if you have a church that's loving, kind, tender, knowing that, yes, we're not perfect, but we're all being perfected, then I guarantee you, you'll have a heart to forgive because you would want to be forgiven for your shortcomings. Everyone in this room has shortcomings. Why do you think the Bible says forgive and love one another? Because we're perfect? No. Sometimes we'll do things to irritate people. We don't even know it. But the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. There are some things you don't even have to bring up. It's just probably, you know, a bad habit and probably God's working in their life. Pray for them. If you think it's a big thing, go up to them and say, hey, listen, there's something here. I don't want to mar your character. Instead of talking about them, gossiping and all that. That's not love. Getting revenge, ill. Oh, I can't believe they didn't say hello to me. I mean, this is what churches are filled today. You know, people are hurting sometimes. People struggle. And by the way, your pastor struggles. Man, he goes, yeah, I go through what you go through, discouragement sometimes. And I'm thinking, and before I'm preaching, I, you know, I go through things, and sometimes I don't notice people. I can't even believe the pastor didn't notice me today. Went to shake my hand, he walked past me. You think I mean that by purpose? You think when someone doesn't notice you, it's on purpose? If you, if you think that, if I did that to you, you'd be finished. No, you know, listen, brethren, there ought to be love. One for another, a heart that always forgives, knows and understands that the world is not wrapped up around you. Amen. I was going out soul winning yesterday, and we were just all over the place giving up Bible tracts to different people, and I happily saw these same people again in another area. I was going to the bathroom, by the way, and I said, oh, it's them again, and they really rejected the gospel. And I went to give them a gospel track, uh, you know, uh, the first time, and they rejected it. I thought, uh, I don't know if I'll, you know, do it again. It just, 
And then they looked at me and they go, oh, he's following me. Following you? I'm going to the bathroom. The world is not wrapped around you. Like, who do you think you are? You know, it's almost they're looking at me as a stalker. It's, it's just, it was disgusting. I felt like, oh, no. I'm feeling vulnerable here. And I've got to call security. I just want to use the bathroom and I'm happy to see him again. And, and brethren, it's the same thing in the church. The, 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 you know, the world is not revolved around us. People go through things. People are hurting at times. And so we need to be tender-hearted, forgiving at times for, for the shortcomings or the, uh, the, you know, there are areas that people are growing in. Did you know that? It's called forbearance. But love is the fruit of the Spirit that must be cultivated and is evidence of someone who has passed from death to life. This is for the people that don't believe that they have to have fruit for their salvation. Well, let's have a look here. John chapter 5 verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me have everlasting life. Alright? And what will happen? He shall not come into condemnation, but he's passed from what? From death to what? What a blessing. Oh yes, the believer says this is a great truth. We've passed from death to life when we believe on Jesus and on his word. We will never be condemned for the, our sin. And I say with you, amen to that and amen again. But you know what else the Bible says? 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that we have heard from him from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother... And wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. By the way, that's the typical brother of the world. That's Cain. Uh, marvel not if the world hate you. If you're characterized by the spirit of Cain, you need to put a question mark on your salvation. Because this is one of the fruit of the spirit. This is the evidence of salvation. Listen, we're going to get there. This is the evidence of someone that's passed from death to life. We know that we have what? What? How do we know we've passed from death to life? We can say this. How do we know that we've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and believed on Him? Because once we believe on Him, we've passed from death to life. So how do we know we've believed on Him? Look at this. When we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth where? Evidence for your salvation? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, it's the first fruit of the Spirit. So these people that say, oh, you don't need any fruit for your salvation. You don't need to show fruit and you'll still be saved. No, the Bible says you have the fruit of love. And if you don't have the fruit of love, you're like Cain. And you haven't passed from death to life. You abideth in death. Look at verse 15. Very clear. Whosoever hateth his brother is a what? Murderer. And ye know that no murderer have eternal life abiding in him. They're very clear. You say, oh, but I've, I've hated someone. I've got had, I had bitterness to someone. But it shouldn't be characterized of your whole life. Christians struggle. But the Spirit of God will help you recover. The unbeliever doesn't have the Spirit of God. They will always be bitter, angry, malicious upon others. They will never forget the herd or whatever, whatever takes place. They always want to pay back revenge, even in a subtle way. They don't have to manifest it outwardly. As a matter of fact, they can have a big smile on their face and put a knife in your back. It's Cain. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us a parable that clearly depicts and defines a true child of God by the heart that forgives others. And I want you to see, it's found in Matthew chapter 18. Turn your Bibles there with me, please. Matthew chapter 18. Let's uh, just lay, the, <clears throat> lay a bit of the context and groundwork before we get into the parable and read the parable. The parable is found in Matthew 18. It's called the unforgiving servant or the merciless servant. That's what the parable's found. In this parable, we, we actually find what true forgiveness looks like and also opposing one that doesn't forgive. And now prior to this present parable, we see Jesus teach on some important factors that are related to forgiveness and restoration. And from verses 15 to 20, Jesus is teaching on how to gain a brother. 
If someone's offended you or trespassed or sinned against you, in some way the Bible teaches us how to restore that person. Okay? Offenses will always come. Things will always happen. But it's not the end of a relationship. The Bible teaches us how to, how to win that person over. Okay? And, uh, and get the wrong ride and help them recover if they've offended us. Not write them off. Did you hear that? Not write them off. If someone's hurt you, don't write them off. Give them an opportunity to recover. Amen? That's being tender-hearted. That's being forgiving, kind. Uh, if, uh, let me ask you a question before we get, get into this. If you have wronged someone because you got into the flesh or you said something out of haste, you've offended someone and maybe you don't even mean it. Wouldn't you like the opportunity to make the wrong right? Or do you want that person to write you, write you off? First or the second? The first. The first. As a matter of fact, no marriages will last if there wasn't this principle here. It would be all dissolved and finished. As a matter of fact, you've got marriages now that are just hanging by the thread and, and staying together to save face. But if you want a healthy marriage, listen, you want a healthy you know, relationship at work, friendship, church, apply these principles. Wonderful principles. So simple. And executed so simply if done in the proper manner and, and a heart that has the heart of God. So we see Jesus teaches that there are steps to take before bringing things to the church. Notice the, the specific steps in verse 15. He says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell someone else. Does it say that? What does it say? Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou shalt what? Gain thy brother. There it is. Then get on the phone and say, I can't believe how my wife just spoke to me today. Speaking to your you know, other friend. or I can't even believe how my husband treated me today. Speaking to your friend. Gossiping. Why don't you tell your spouse? You know, I don't really appreciate you talking to me today. Like in front of the kids even. That's, that wasn't nice. And give them an opportunity to recover and sort of broadcast in it. To the world. Amen. And, and, and mind you, most conflicts are based upon miscommunication or no communication at all. <laughs> Sometimes people say things, silly things. And only if they own up to it, things can be restored like that. But another person could take it out of proportion and blow it up and make a big scene out of it. That's not love. That's been offended and the bar's going up. And the Bible says here very clearly to give them an opportunity, a room to the offender to repent before going telling others. The offender may not be completely aware of his fault. Look at Proverbs 25 verse 9. Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another, lest he heareth it and put thee to shame and thy infamy turn not away. Did you know what can happen when you go tell someone and not the right person? It will turn back on your head. You'll be now the cause of the problem. And you only make things worse. The phrase, if he shall hear thee, indicates to us that they have uh, you know, acknowledged their sin and, and have an opportunity to acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness. And if they refuse to acknowledge it when it's clearly there, then you can go and tell a fault to your brother. And by the way, we're talking about serious faults. We're not talking about petty things that can be covered so easily. Amen? Serious things. Look at verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. That is, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Now this person is not on any side. They're just there as witnesses so they can help the relationship be restored. That's all it is. We're not collaborating here to win people on our side and uh, really just destroy the person. Is that, is that clear? It's just the, the people that we bring along is to help restore the situation. Remember, other Christians are not there to take sides. They're there on the side of truth. The only side we should be on is the side of truth. Proverbs 17 verse 15, He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, 
even they both are an abomination to the Lord. If the fault and the offence has been clearly established and there is no willingness to make the wrong right, then it should be addressed to other people of the church. Verse 16. If he shall, if he shall, or 17, is it? Neglect to hear them, tell it unto who? But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Wow. Why? Because you're taking the steps of restoration and love. Any person that doesn't want to restore the conflict and it's gone to, you know, as serious as this, you're not really showing Christ-like love. You're not demonstrating the love of God. You're not demonstrating a heart that is tender, but rather a heart that is hard. There are about three purposes for taking it to the church. Number one is to honour God. As believers, we must obey the clear instruction of the Word of God. And number two, it's for the purity of the church. As the church, we must hate what God hates, and, and God hates sin. He hates division. Read Proverbs 6, and the Bible says that uh, these uh, six things the Lord hates, and seven are an abomination. And the seventh one that he hates and abhors is what? Discord among the brethren. And of course, the third one is for the restoration of the brother. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. I think God tells us to you know, have break fellowship for a purpose, that that person will go back and think about their wrongs. As Christians, our main goal and concern is to help others and not ponder upon the offence. Fences will come and they will creep in. Look at verse 7. Woe unto the world because of offences. But it must, must needs be that offences come, but woe to that man by whom the offence cometh. There are some people's offence destroy marriages and relationships and, and churches, good churches. All because they have a bee in their bonnet and they don't want to fix it. Bitterness has crept up and then one thing leads to another. The love of God is not there, it's quenched. And we know that destruction can take place. Now, Jesus teaches something similar on the Sermon on the Mount. However, this time it's flipped around. Okay? If someone or something is brought to your attention, for example, let's just say I've done something to someone, and someone brings it to my attention, well, the Bible says, leave your gift or your, whatever it is that you're worshipping God with, go make the wrong right and come back and offer your gift. So if you hear something, that someone has something against you, go fix it. Go to them, work it out, and then come and worship God. This is what it tells us in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if, thy, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. If we have offended another person, we must quickly and rectify the problem, if there is indeed an offence. The offender should first go and make the wrong right and then offer the, the gift to God. You know, a lot of, God is not interested in sacrifice. He wants more obedience than sacrifice. I'm not saying that he doesn't want the sacrifice from you or the worship, but he'd rather you obey his word more than anything. Because I, no one understands it was disobedience that started the whole dilemma of sin, wasn't it? To offer a sacrifice in my sinful state is not acceptable to God. It's an abomination, as a matter of fact. He that brings a sacrifice to God with a wicked mind, the Bible says it's an abomination. It's in the book of Proverbs. I don't understand how people can go on and on and on knowing that there's something and there's a fault and it's serious. And they don't do all that they can to rectify the problem. And they continue singing, worshipping like there's nothing wrong. William MacDonald said this, God receives no worship from a believer who is not on speaking terms with another and who has never tried with all their power and strength to get the wrong right. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, as much as you can, with the strength and power that you have, the ability and the resources you have, live peaceably with all men. And if I know there's a problem, I'm going to do all that I can to rectify the problem. Now listen, 
always be willing to resolve issues that others have against you and it's biblical it's biblical always be willing in some cases there are some people who say uh, you know uh, that they are willing to meet and resolve issues but then they cause more problems so you have to be discerning yeah, I mean it's very hard are these person really wanting to solve the problem or are they here to cause more problems in some cases there are some people who are not willing to resolve conflicts and they make it hard for you to reconcile so that's why I believe Romans 12 is there as much as you can because you don't want to be under the bondage of someone you know you don't want to be under the hand or rule or of someone and people try to do that they try to blackmail I've been blackmailed at one time I received an email uh, with a one page of oughts. I have ought against you. One, two, three, four, five, six. And there were so many oughts on one page. And I thought the best thing to do is print out that email and call the person to come over and sit and talk about it. That's the best thing to do. Instead of going back and forth and playing email wars. Because you can be misunderstood on email, on text messages. You believe that? So the best thing to do is come, let's talk about it. But he had conditions. The only time that he would sit and talk to me about it, if number one, I agreed to every ought. I think, oh, not even talking about it? Or can't we even discuss it? Maybe somewhere there there was a miscommunication. Can you be some, can you have mercy upon me, brother? And the second one was that if I didn't believe the same position of his eschatology, of the timing of the return of Christ, then there's no way that we can meet to reconcile. I thought, oh, that's, ne that's never going to happen. I mean, this is unbiblical measures. Nowhere in Scripture do we see these conditions. Reconcile, and then let's talk about whatever you want to talk about. And at best, you can say, brother, I don't agree with you here or here. We can't work together. We can still see each other on the street, shake hands and part way and be brothers in the Lord. And maybe I'll see you in heaven and see who's right about when the return of Christ will come. No one's denying the resurrection or the rapture or the second coming. It's the timing. If I don't believe the timing his way, we can't reconcile. Now, I don't know about you, but is that fair? It's like blackmail. I refuse to be under that. And uh, Romans 12, verse 18, as much as life in you, I'm willing. I'm still willing to now. Listen, don't put unreasonable conditions on people. That's not love. That's not love. Oh, when they change, then I'll be willing to meet and then forgive them. Or maybe the meeting will help them change. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Am I making myself clear this morning? Now, I want you to see verse 21. This is what prompts the parable. What brought this parable about, about the unforgiving servant? Well, it was Peter, what Peter said. I want you to he hear this. Matthew 18, look at verse 21. We're going to be almost done. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often or how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee unto seven times, but unto seventy times seven. Wow. And by the way, in other parallel passages, it's in one day. Not in your whole lifetime. You know what Jesus give, is giving? He's giving a number that's unlimited, almost unlimited. That's how much compassion he wants you to have. So who, who's, who has the ability to sin against you that many times? Just come and meet one of my children and see how many times they dishonor their father and mother every day. And every day they say, oh, sorry, Dad. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes when people act like children in the church well then forgiveness has to be had amen look at the parallel passage in Luke 17 take heed verse 3 to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee notice what the Bible says rebuke him and if he repent forgive him and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying I repent thou shalt forgive him now Jesus clarifies to Peter that number seven, if, a, if again, if again there are parallel passages, 
They're both. But if a person asked for forgiveness seven times in one day, then he must be willing to forgive him seven times in that day. The Lord is not saying that seven is the final number, as we see in Matthew 18. He's just saying you must forgive every time someone asks you for forgiveness. You must forgive them. Now, what about the term, if he repent? Forgive. Do we only forgive someone if and when they repent? There are people and Christians that will not forgive other people until they repent. When forgiveness begins, listen to this, when forgiveness begins in the heart, the person will be completely prepared to have compassion when a person is ready to ask for forgiveness. In other words, if I forgive someone in my heart, the door will be wide open for true forgiveness when that person is ready to ask for it. And you know what? That's the heart of God. I can prove it to you. Psalm 86 verse 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to what? He's always ready to forgive. Who? He's always ready to forgive. He's plenty in mercy unto all them that call upon him. If, if, if we were to be like God, I'm not going to forgive you. No, be willing to forgive him. Be willing to open that door of forgiveness. Because if you say, well, you know, uh, that person hasn't, he's hurt me, he's offended me, he hasn't asked for forgiveness, pshht, oh, don't do that. So I'm sad that he, that person hasn't come and asked. I want our relationship to be restored. I should forgive someone that has wronged me without them asking for it. And when they're ready to come, it's going to be water off a duck's back. Of course I forgive you. I was waiting for this. I want my relationship to be restored. I love you. Man, if marriages were like this, they'll be strengthened and moving forward and the divorce rates will be so low. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he demonstrated the heart of forgiveness when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They're ignorant. So the door of forgiveness was open. When, Peter, when Stephen was stoned, he, uh, he was stoned to death. Uh, he was about, you know, to die. Before dying, you know what he said? Father, lay this not on their charge. Don't put it on their account. Why? What he was expressing? A heart and a door of forgiveness. And those people will not be forgiven until they ask for it. Got, got it. Taken. But the door's open for it. They're ready for it. You get what I'm trying to say? What about Joseph when he was sold by his brothers and demonstrated a heart of forgiveness? Look what the Bible says. And Joseph said unto them, his brethren, fear not for I am, for he says, for am I in the place of God? I'm not taking vengeance. Hey, God will take vengeance. I'm not taking the place of God. If my enemy will sin against me, you know what? I'm going to be kind to them. I'll feed them and give them water. But the other person says, I'm not going to forgive full of bitterness and animosity big you know no it, it, it's not going to it won't help any relationship now let's look at the parable We're almost finished parable, uh, Matthew chapter 18 look at verse 23 notice the word therefore again it's on the it's on the it's on the backdrop of what Peter was saying the whole parable was to help Peter amen therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take an account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, or take account, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But, if, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, and saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with what? Compassion. And he what? Loosed him and forgave him of his debt. Now, did he have to do that? No, but he did. Why? Because he was compassionate. He says, he had 10,000 talents and you can't pay that. I'm going to take your family, uh, you know, until you pay everything. They're going to hold, they're going to be held to ransom. And he fell down and worshipped and asked for mercy. And the Lord had mercy on him. Like, no, on that servant, that old 10,000 talents. Now look at verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Now compare the difference. 10,000 versus a hundred. Which one's more valuable? 
10,000, of course, 100 compared to 10,000 is nothing, correct? So this servant that owed 10,000 and was pardoned had another servant that owed him 100. And I want you to see what happens now. And he went, uh, and he went out uh, and laid hands on him, verse 28, and took him by the throat, saying, pay me. This person that was pardoned 10,000 talents grabbed the other person by the throat. Now, did the Lord do that to that person that was owed 10,000 talents or no? No, he didn't do that. That this person grabbed him ruthlessly by the throat and said, pay me. And he would not, in verse 30, I'm uh, sorry, uh, in verse 30, uh, verse 30, and he would not, and went out and cast him into prison. Sorry, verse 29, and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, I will repay all. Same thing that the other guy said to, the, to, the, to his other master. And what did he do in response? When he asked for mercy, what did he do? He would not, but went out and cast him into prison till he paid all the debt. So when his fellow servant saw what was done, he was very sorry and came and told unto his Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that he was due unto him. So likewise shall my Father, my heavenly Father, do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother that their trespasses now that's heavy cast him out judgment well you know what this depicts that one of these servants will not having the heart of God they did not demonstrate the love of their master to someone that had a petty petty debt owing to them how, how, we've been forgiven much the Lord has loved us and he's forgiven our trespasses and we've trespassed against the Lord more than anyone that has trespassed against us and you're going to go and hold that person to ransom and not be willing to forgive them when they ask for forgiveness that's not characterized as a child of God that's why Paul says as dear children that's not a child of God. And that's what Jesus is trying to portray. My heavenly Father will deal with everyone that is unforgiving. It is a mark of a true believer, brethren. Forgiveness is a mark of a true believer. And you can say it with your lips all you want. You can say, oh, I forgive that person all you want. But your heart will tell the truth and God knows your heart. Because they're just words. Now, let's look at another passage before we close. Have a look at Matthew 5. This is where the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to be like our Heavenly Father in the area of love. But look to what degree He takes it. He's not taking it to our fellow brother, but He actually takes it to our fellow enemies. Matthew 5, verse 43, You have heard it that, it's, uh, that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and bless them that curse you and do good, them, good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye, look at this, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Why does he say that? Because that's what a child of God is characterised by. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth the rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them that love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? If ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even your publicans so? Look at verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven, perfect. Another word, mature in love in this area. Willing to forgive 
your enemies. What a level. What an absolute degree of love demonstrated. Anyone can forgive those that, or love those that love them, anybody. But the great test of true, unconditional, agape, God love is when you're willing to forgive those that, you're, that, that hurt you and they're your enemies. Yesterday we went out and we were on a corner in Sydney, on the corner of, uh, I think it was Pit or Park, or Pit and opposite anyway we're on the corner a lot of people and we're just handing out gospel pamphlets telling people about Jesus and there's this other man that came along with a few other people and just basically said that this is our corner we've always come here go find another place now I didn't know that information till later on I was actually speaking to a man and I was talking to him and all of a sudden that man that told the other brethren to move on came to me and I asked him the same question, a theological question because I knew that he was a Christian. I didn't know that he was actually trying to stand over and tell us to leave. And, uh, and, he's, and, and, and he didn't like the theological question. It was actually challenging to him and didn't want to answer it. And I really think and believe that he was more upset at the fact that we would not leave when he said to go. We stood our ground. We just said, oh, we're just passing out pamphlets here. I mean... And then he sized me up. He came up to me like this and told me to leave. I said, well, we're just standing here giving out tracks. And he just went bang and hit me right on the head here. And the, the, the glass went in. It just cut me just a little bit. It wasn't that bad. The Lord preserved me there for a moment. And my glasses went flying. Now, I wasn't shocked about the hit. You know, he hit me. My glasses flew. I was shocked at the fact that this man in a moment is about to preach Jesus and not later on they put a banner right from the beginning to end and it says Jesus he lives and he's alive today what kind of Jesus is that he just told us if someone hits you on the on the cheek turn the other you're not coming close to that you're actually hitting another Christian not even your enemy and then uh, we we're just standing there like stunned mullets a bystander came and grabbed my glasses and gave them to me. I said, thank you. And then when he realized we wouldn't go, and I told him, that's not Christian-like. He grabbed a bottle of water, 1.25, and pegged it right on my back. I thought, this time I need to take my phone out because the camera deters people from doing, you know, things like this. I didn't really deter him. I got it, made him more angry. He came and he stood against one of my other brother, Dylan, until a bystander came back and grabbed his hand and said, that's assault. And then that so-called Christian went to go him, the bystander, but he wouldn't because now there were other people there and he kind of backed off a bit. And there was another lady that was there with her husband trying to reach people, not part of the group. As a matter of fact, they said, we're not with them. And she came up, little old lady, Asian lady. She says, forgive him, forgive him. I said, I don't have a problem in forgiving him. I forgive him. She goes, if you forgive him, you know, you're better. I said, it's not about me being better. I forgive him for him. I forgive him for his sake. Yes, if we forgive, there's no bitterness in our hearts and there's no malice or clamor. Absolutely. It is a, is a blessing. But true forgiveness forgives that person for their sake. When God forgave you, he didn't forgive you so he can feel better he forgave you so you can be restored and understand the love of God that will bring you to a place that you'd never be without him this is the false connotation if I forgive I'll get a better sleep you may but you still have bitterness in your heart for them you telling the news media I forgive them but I'm gonna I just pray they, they get what they get you know I just what comes for them I forgive them no now, humbles of doves and wives of serpent, I walked away not answering a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. I walked away and said, we're going, you can have your corner, but let it be known to you that you're not a Christian, because Christians don't act like that. And he went for another round and his partner was holding him back and we just left. Even to this day, I don't have any animosity. But you know what? We determined that that Christianity that they have from the charismatic movement is a false spirit, a false Jesus, a false gospel. 
And they're the enemies of the cross. And people like that need to be marked out. They're called hogs and dogs in the Bible. They do more damage than good. So my forgiveness upon that person wasn't wishy-washy because I gave them a stern warning that they're not Christians. Christians do not act like that. And Christian, let's be very careful how we act in the church. Because you can act the way in a way that that person acts in the church and cause division and tear the body of Christ. Can you imagine walking in the likeness of God to the point that the door of forgiveness is open even to your enemies? How much more your brother? Wow. Wow. Now let that sink in for a moment. And I don't mind going over time on this point because this is important. If you have a heart like God to even forgive your enemy, your worst enemy, when it comes to forgiving your brother, how easy would it be? You know what Peter says? 1 Peter 1.22 Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto what? Unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. You know what unfeigned love is? Pure, genuine, without hypocrisy. Pure from the heart. And you know what? Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, only possible when you are a child of God, the subjects of God's love. As dear children. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Be ye therefore followers of God, as dear children. Children. Amen? Let's pray.